Nashville-based musicians Hunter Wolf and his sister R found a beautiful way to honor their late brother Christian through their music. Hunter also shares how he finally faced the music of his brother's sudden passing eight years ago. So you just played your first show in over a year. How did it feel to be back on stage again? I'll tell you what, I had um, nerves like I had when I first started playing, maybe the first time I ever stood on stage. It was, it was amazing. I was afraid I wasn't going to know how to do this again. <laughs> they say it's like riding a bicycle. Was it kind of like that? It was, absolutely. After the the first 30 seconds, it was like, okay, I got this. It was The whole experience was amazing, and it, it was kind of reinvigorating. It gave me that new sense again. Not that you ever really lose that, but when you do it every day, every week, several times a week, you know, year-round, constantly, you, you kind of get into a routine of it, and then when life grinds you to a halt and cancels all of your shows for over a year, you're out of that routine, you're out of practice, you you get those nerves again. And so I was like shaking and had sweats before I got on stage. And as soon as I got on stage, it all just came flooding back. But I got to enjoy it as if it was brand new again, which was a really cool little experience. I had a blast all around. That's awesome. So when did you begin playing music? And also, when did you and your sister team up to form a band? So I got a guitar for my 14th birthday. I had gone to a friend's house over the weekend in middle school. He went to Sunday Night Live uh, at his church, and I had never really had any interest in music or playing guitar until that night. I grew up on a farm, and I was all set to go into the agriculture business, and I kind of had my whole life planned out. To be honest, I was going to go to two years of community college course, and then I was going to be accepted into Virginia Tech. I was going to go to Washington State to go to the Mott Applesauce family. It's a whole family, and they do uh, restorative forestry. And I was going to be kind of like a forest ranger uh, restoring forests in the United States. Oh, wow. At 13 years old, like my whole life was just ready to go. <laughs> and then I went this night to Sunday Night Live, a little church service. There was a live band there, and a bunch of the uh, my peers were up on stage playing. And, and afterwards, they let you go up on stage and play with their instruments. It was pretty amazing to let. You know, a bunch of middle schoolers just go up and bang around on the drums and pick up your guitars. And so I did that kind of after everybody was done. I was a shy kid. I still am a shy kid. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, I went and picked up a guitar. And at 13 years old, I'm sitting there. And and it was one of those moments like, I don't know, it was like a a lightning bolt hit me as soon as I I picked it up. I knew it was what I had to do. And so I couldn't stop talking about it. And I just had to do it. And my parents got me a guitar for my 14th birthday two months later everything my whole life's plans went right out the window and all i was going to do was play guitar so fast forwarding a year later ben highlander has been my uh, my best friend since ninth grade he let me borrow this live dvd of the white stripes and my sister saw this girl on stage playing she's like girls can do this because it's very much a male dominated industry you get a lot of front women who are singers but you don't see too many drummers more now than ever. But she saw this woman playing drums. She's like, I want to do this. So a year later, we pooled our birthday money, bought her a used drum kit, started playing, and we didn't stop. And how many years ago was that? 14 years ago when my sister and I started playing together. Wow. Time flies when you're having fun. No kidding. A decade and a half later, and here we are. (laughs) Peace. That's awesome. Well, shout out to your sister, R, because she is an amazing drummer. She's got the talent. I, I had to work for every note that I learned how to play, every chord I learned how to play, she sat down day one and, and was already just amazing at it. She's she's definitely got that prodigy title around her. Shout out to her big time. And showmanship, too. She's so cool to watch. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, that hair flip, she's now, her signature move has become iconic for her. Mm-hmm. It started as just an accident because she was wearing sunglasses when we were playing this outdoor stage. And the sunglasses started falling off and they got caught in her hair and she's trying to get them off of her. And so she just flipped her hair. And then like three people cheered when she flipped her hair because it looked like a lion's mane going around. <laughs> so she did it again and they cheered again. So she just kept doing it. And here we are. Those happy accidents. Exactly. I want to talk about your brother, Christian, for a minute, because he was such a big music fan and also an influence for you and your sister becoming a band. That's a huge reason why we continued playing music beyond just making it a fun little hobby. When I started playing music, we noticed that my handicapped brother, our handicapped brother, really reacted to it. For a little background, I'm the oldest. Our middle brother, Christian, was severely handicapped. He had cerebral palsy, scoliosis, epilepsy, uh, several other conditions. He couldn't see, he couldn't talk. He was completely dependent on the whole family to take care of every single need that he had to be alive. And doctors, when he was born, said you should just put him in a home because he won't last more than a year or two. And you should just forget about him, which mm. that's a horrible thing to say. That's, how, do you, how dare somebody tell new parents that they should just forget about their kid they just had, health conditions or yeah. not. And so and my parents said, well, no, that's absolutely not going to happen. And so the doctor said he'd only live a year or two. He lived until he was almost 18. Wow. He lived a very long, full life. And so my sister came along a year after him. Fast forward to when we were, uh, when I was 14 and she was nine. When I was, our brother was really reacting to me playing guitar in the house. And he loved music, absolutely loved music. And we knew that. When my sister got a drum kit and we started playing like this garage rock sound, this bluesy uh, influenced rock sound, he really reacted to it, loved it. His favorite band happened to be Led Zeppelin, and that never changed no matter how much we played or wrote music. <laughs> Zeppelin was always his favorite band, rightfully so. When we started playing in the house, he he just absolutely loved it. And we When we would go out and do open mic nights when we were first cutting our teeth, and then we did some uh, local bar gigs and things like that. He, we always took him with us. He was always included in everything we did. He loved it. He absolutely loved the late nights. He loved the loud rock shows. He loved it all. For us, that was more rewarding than just about anything else to see our brother find this excitement and something that we were able to do and create uh, was amazing. It, it really it developed an even tighter bond for the whole family. My sister and I played together, and our brother was cheering us on from the side of the stage. And so we knew that music had a big influence, but... Fast forward a few years later, my brother had to have a baclofen pump inserted into his stomach area, his gut, and then literally the pump was hardwired to his central nervous system, his spine. It essentially just pumped baclofen medicine to his central nervous system to help with his seizures and other things he had. So if you can imagine having this hockey puck-sized device implanted into your body and then literally they tap into your central nervous system, your spine, and hardwire this thing to you, his handicaps and his conditions prevented him from having just about any kind of painkiller apart from generic raw Tylenol. Mm. Well, somebody doing surgery on your your spine and then get saying, all I can have is Tylenol, I can't imagine the pain you would be in afterwards. So he's laying in recovery. He woke up from the procedure. Everything went great, but he was just screaming in pain. Oh. I think I was 16 when this happened. He was in horrible pain. His favorite band being Led Zeppelin. This was back in the days of portable DVD players. Those were the cool things. And so we brought a live DVD of Zeppelin, and my mom put it on for him. Anything to soothe him, because Tylenol just was not cutting it. 
And so he's laying there, and my sister and I witnessed, we'll never forget this, when the music started, he stopped crying. Mm-hmm. Like, the music literally took away his pain. And so he's laying there, and for the next two and a half hours, or however long that DVD was, he laid there and didn't make a sound. He was just immersed in the music. And when the DVD ended, he started crying again. The pain came back. And so for the next 36 hours around the clock, the nurses were amazing. that They would replay it if mom and dad were asleep. That DVD got played around the clock for (laughs) a day and a half until the pain, you know, he healed enough for the pain to subside. And so we saw this happen and we realized in that moment that music was way more powerful than just something that, you know, the world enjoys in one facet or another. So we knew this was something we really needed to go after. Here we are a few years later down the road and we're living in Nashville and have done some amazing things and are excited for the future. But it's all thanks to our brother. That's so amazing. So let's talk about your band name, Born Crooked, and your logo, because it's such a beautiful story. First, what was the inspiration behind the name? Well, so we were originally called Hunter Wolf and R. I mean, my name and, and my sister's moniker, A-R-E. And that was very confusing. We were, I don't even remember how old we are, 16, 17 years old. We were trying to come up with a like a real band name. And coming up with a band name is really hard. One that's like memorable and easy to say and easy to print. So it's readable, legible. It was a big challenge. <laughs> and so <laughs> for like six months, we were throwing around different band names. And my favorite was Penguins in the Zoo. We had coined that from some friends. I love that. I was, I was like, oh, this is, this is the one. When none of us were really sold on it. And my sister came up with Born Crooked. She said that one day in the living room at our parents' home. And our brother really reacted to that. And she came up with it from a x-ray from our brother's spine because the scoliosis he had was really severe. And he thought that was really cool. And I said, you know, that's a, that's a great band name. A few months later, this was May of 2013, our brother suddenly passed away. Doctor said it was probably going to happen. One reason or another is just the amount of conditions he had. He could just suddenly go, and he did, uh, May 10th, 2013. And we didn't see it coming. It was, it was really hard. It was really sad. And after a few months of mourning, we kind of picked back up, and we thought that now was a perfect time to really implement a band name. And using the name that he liked the most that my sister said was most important. It was a great name that she came up with, one that he really liked, and even more personal to us now. And so we named ourselves Born Crooked, but I really wanted to incorporate something image-wise into our logo that showcased him. And I remember I had these x-rays. I don't know why we had them, but we had a copy of these x-rays of his spine. I took it to a graphics guy and said, can you like copy this shape, but make it look like electricity or sound waves or something, just something cool. I don't know what it's going to look like. Uh, See what you can do. And he emailed me back and said, here you go. And the logo you see now, the born crooked with that curved shape, that is an exact copy of our brother's spine right in the middle of our name, born crooked. As soon as we saw it, my sister and I both were like, well, that's it. That's amazing. That looks fantastic. I love that story so much because what a beautiful way to honor your brother. Yeah. And especially because he was such a big music fan too. Oh, yeah. His two biggest passions in life were music and animals. Growing up on a farm, we'd take him outside and the chickens would climb on him and the horses would nuzzle his cheek. And he just loved animals. He loved being outside and he loved music. And you said that he was blind too. So anything audio is even more significant. Yeah, he had incredible hearing. So yeah, I'm sure in his world that audio was completely amplified. 
So I want to talk about the effects of this pandemic, because when everything started shutting down, the entire music industry also came to an abrupt halt. (laughs) Understatement of the year, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How has this affected you personally and also professionally? We had a huge year. We were on tour in on the West Coast. We performed at NAM. We played the Whiskey A Go-Go opening for Frank Hannon from Tesla. We did some studio performances and shot a lyric video, uh, did a photo shoot down on Laguna Beach, came back to Nashville for a week, packed up again, went to the East Coast and played Pro Renata Brewery in our old hometown right outside of Charlottesville, Virginia. And then we came back to Nashville and we were gearing up to go play some shows in Kentucky and then do a couple really big radio shows in Ohio for the Summit FM. And then we were coming back. We were going to go to the UK for six days and then home to finish recording some studio tracks. And when we got back from the East Coast in February, everything got canceled. It was our biggest tour year in like three years. We had had a pretty slow three years and we we geared up and and had some big things happening and it all got canceled you take a pretty big hit with that professionally Mm -hmm. certainly and also personally but we were determined not to let it get us down we figured well let's just switch gears it's a good opportunity to maybe revitalize certain areas so i started doing live videos where i would write songs live with fans the amazing thing and it's funny how the universe works is the nam show which we had just performed at in california is the music industry's biggest trade show mm-hmm. huge a quarter million people or a half million people attend this a year it's every kind of music company on the planet microphone companies cable companies amps guitars drums cymbals band instruments like it covers any kind of musical instrument you'll find that company there and then tech companies and recording software and just everything we had met and developed some relationships while we were there and fast forward to the pandemic shutting everything down we figured well we might as well record and so these companies helped us out big time by sending us microphones and helping us out with getting our home studios built because my sister when she was a baby had kawasaki's there was a potential risk of her contracting this virus and it being a little more tough to get through than just somebody who maybe hadn't had an autoimmune disorder as a baby. Mm -hmm. We don't know if at her age it would have or not, but it's better safe than sorry. So she went back home to Virginia and just laid low with our parents. I stayed here in Nashville and our bass player, Ben, was in California and we started sending tracks back and forth and we were writing a ton of ideas, but the pandemic made it really difficult for me for whatever reason. I guess it made me face all of my mental health challenges that were in there that I didn't know were in there. Mm-hmm. I couldn't finish a song. I couldn't finish one song. Oh, <laughs> wow. For the whole, I was like, this is great. I'm going to write the three of us, we're going to write, you know, a couple albums worth of material. We're going to have like a huge brand new set list to, to, that can cover like three hours of music when we finally get back to touring. And and man, I was faced with overcoming any kind of hurdle. And it seemed like last year, 2020, they all bubbled up to the surface because mm-hmm. I didn't have any distractions. Mm-hmm. I had to face the music, mm-hmm. pun intended. I love how the universe has a way of letting us know that the things that we have to face, they don't go away. We can stuff them down. We can ignore it. But we start to heal when we process those things. I'm glad you got the time to do that. I'm very thankful for last year. I'm, I'm very sad that people lost their lives and it caused issues for other folks. But I'm, I'm very happy for those that were able to get through the pandemic, all of us together, and, and those that were able to face their own challenges. And 
I mean, you're not alone out there. If you think that you were at home and you could only go to the grocery store and then you were stuck in the same four walls inside your house and you couldn't socialize and you couldn't see friends and you had those feelings of anxiety and depression or struggled to even get out of bed before 11 a.m. or, you know, not eat anything other than a bag of french fries out of the freezer. If you think you went through that alone, you definitely didn't because that was me for at least six months, if not more. I mean, just getting to sit outside in the afternoon or even in the morning and drink a cup of coffee did me a world of good because I didn't get out of my pajamas for six months. (laughs) (laughs) You were definitely not alone with that one. No. Oh, man. I, like you, I'm very grateful for this past year. It was, uh, for me, it was a little bit more on the tumultuous side. Yeah. (laughs) So there were a few months in there where I was trying to get to a spot where I could at least shelter in place because I had to move around so much. But once I was able to settle in, it was kind of that same thing, you know, and I have also autoimmune issues as well. And so I had to be really careful about even going to the grocery store. I had people doing my shopping for me. That's scary then when you're further restricted like that. And then I have two therapy dogs, as you know, we were doing visits. We finally just did our first visit on Tuesday. Yay! And over a year, because we were visiting hospitals, and that's ground zero for the pandemic. So we were not able to do that safely. And so not being able to do that, something that you enjoy and being out in nature, that was that took a big hit for me as well. Yeah. I'm sure you had a lot of healing being able to take your therapy dogs and see them healing other people. I'm sure that was equally healing for you. And for that not to be able to happen must have been really hard. Well, and it's like you with professionally too. It's one thing if you're just playing music for a hobby, but this was your career and it was on the up. (laughs) And then it just went away. It wasn't like it was your choice. So that's difficult. I actually want to talk about that a little bit. You talked about writing songs on Facebook Live. I remember when you were doing that, you were doing like mini concerts. What were some of the other things that you did to help you get through these past few months? I have a now two-year-old daughter. She was one-year-old through the pandemic. That was a big help for me. I was going to be gone more last year than I was going to be home. And then all of a sudden I was home every day, all day and be able to spend that time with her. That really helped me just being able to spend every day with her, watching her grow, teaching her things. And, and then literally being able to sit outside in the sunshine. That's my sister. I know I'm full of useless facts. And I had remembered that I had read one time that, there are enzymes in soil that can help fight anxiety and depression. And so if you just walk around outside in your backyard or any patch of grass, you can find uh, barefoot. It can literally help feed your brain good food. <laughs> so, oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah. So I, I sat outside on our little patio out in the back and would stick my feet in the dirt and just sip coffee in the morning and watch my daughter play in the grass. Being able to unplug and there was no pressure. There was an immense pressure to figure out how to overcome the pandemic. But when we realized that it wasn't going away for a while, this wasn't going to be like, oh, there's a pandemic, but by summer concerts will be back in full swing. So just hurry up and wait. When we realized it was going to be around for a while, I let all the pressure that I put on myself melt away. I put a ton of pressure on myself. Literally, I just finished last night the first song we're going to have our producer mix since this pandemic started. We put out a song in January, but I I did all the mixing and everything. It was a re-recording of a, a live song we did in 2016. So we have put out new music, but this is the professionally done. I, I'm not a, a mixing engineer, so I wouldn't qualify this as like a professional recording, but I'm proud of how it came out. 
I finished the first song yesterday, and I had put a lot of pressure on myself just with this song to getting all the tracks properly done and, and recorded just so, and the weight of the world on my shoulders. And in the middle of this pandemic, in the middle of the summer, when I realized it wasn't going away for a while, and I still need to be doing things, but I don't have to think the whole world is watching me or judging me or whatever the case is, I can just let that all melt away. And that really helped me overcome it because that's all self-inflicted anyway. It's like the whole world is not watching you, but it certainly feels like it, particularly when you're an entrepreneur or you're in any kind of job place where you're trying to better yourself and better your life and get to a point that you think you should be at. You you just need to live your life the best you can. And, and that starts with emotionally and mentally and letting go of that stress that you create yourself that is artificial and should not be there. I'm so glad you mentioned that because we were talking about, you know, you're definitely not alone. I had a tornado hit my house and then I moved 10 days later and it, that flooded and then I moved again and then that also flooded. So I had a few chaotic months, but then after that, we started to settle down and about three months later, that's when it started to hit me. I'm like, okay, we're settled down. Why am I so creatively blocked? I wanted to launch this podcast and I wasn't able to work on it and I just couldn't. I had put so much pressure on myself and I thought something was wrong with me. I'm like, let's get this going. Why isn't this working? And you just, like you said, it's very self-inflicted. Nobody was pushing me to do it. Nobody was asking me, okay, when are you going to launch it? You know, that kind of thing. It was very much self-inflicted and a lot of self-judgment. So I feel that so much. And when you're in the middle of it, you feel like everybody else has their, their life together. Social media is the worst for this. Everybody's oh, look, you know, I, I've got a promotion or, or I just got this new job because I got laid off a, a week ago and I just got a new one or, uh, or look, I just recorded this song and put it out or, hey, look, I just finished writing five songs. I saw that every day on social media. That was another thing was unplugging from the internet world, which was impossible in the middle of a pandemic because our entertainment at our fingertips on your phone all day. I mean, I made a TikTok account and I was watching that and a 1992 baby like TikTok is for the the next generation. (laughs) And here I am unplugging from the social media world because everybody looks like they've got their life together and your life is a chaotic mess and you're not accomplishing anything. You start one project, you don't finish it. You start another one, you don't finish it. You have grandeur of doing these big things in the middle of this pandemic and none of them come to fruition. It's like, what am I doing with my life? Everybody else has it together and I'm just in pieces and nobody has their life together. Even if you do have your life together, you have the exact same challenges as everybody else. It's just called something different. So... You're not alone out there. I mean, you and I have just in this discussion right now have found so many similarities, even though I'm a musician and touring got canceled, your house got hit by a tornado and flooded, but we had the exact same emotional responses and being able to band together and and go, hey, you're okay. I'm okay. Just keep breathing is really important, I think. Yeah. And you mentioned social media. Oh my gosh, I felt that too, because that was part of the self-inflicted stress and self-judgment that I had because I would see people, okay, well, my business got affected this way. So we're going to pivot and we're going to change gears and we're going to do this. And I'm like, why can't I do that? Exactly. (laughs) I was like like trying to figure out, okay, how am I supposed to do that when I was supposed to be focused on how am I supposed to heal from the trauma I just experienced surviving a tornado and two floods? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like when you look at it, I mean, it's been almost a year now that I've been living in my current home, which has not flooded. Thank goodness. I'm in a very, very structurally sound home. I made sure of that before I moved. <laughs> when, when you have to move four times in two months, you make sure of that. Yeah. 
looking back, it's silly, right? We can laugh at it and we can be like, oh my gosh, it was totally self-inflicted. And I think it's important to realize that it is self-inflicted because then you can start to let that go. And I love that you said that you you let all of that pressure go. And then that's when the creativity started coming through again. That's exactly right. As soon as I let all that go, and it's only happened really recently, just talking about this now, looking back, it's just been a few months that it's finally kind of just melted away. I finished a song that I started writing in the middle of last year that I really liked but couldn't get anywhere. I, I feel like I've grown just in that writing. I'm excited to see the growth in my own songwriting just because I, I let all that pressure melt away. I let all that stress melt away, and, and then it literally just started flowing out. I have not had the ability to write a song in a matter of minutes in what feels like years. And I forgot what it felt like. I got up in the middle of the night to finish this song. All said and done, the whole song, if you were to count out all the the length of time it took to write the music and the lyrics, was probably 15 minutes. The music came together as, like, the whole song was basically written in one pass, which hasn't happened to me in years. It just all flowed out, and then I couldn't write the lyrics. Fast forward to just a few weeks ago, the lyrics flowed out. I've never written a song that didn't need much editing. Like I put my pen on paper and the song was there. I I don't think I've ever written that, but maybe once or twice. And this happened. I guess all the healing from subconscious things that were in me building up from years, because I never really faced our brother's passing and that bubbled up Mm -hmm. right before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. The year before the pandemic, on the anniversary of my brother's passing, and I didn't even realize it was coming up. I I had completely just, I don't know if subconsciously blocked it out or whatever, but my wife actually said, you know, this is the weekend that your brother died. I landed in the ER because I thought I was having a heart attack and a stroke. I had very real, very scary physical symptoms, and they'd ran every test on and said I'm healthy as a horse, and it was all from the neck up. It's just grief, yeah. and it hits you when you least expect it. It's one of those things, grief never truly goes away, but hopefully you can find healing from it. Right. And I'm glad that this past year, I think it was uncertain as it was for a lot of people. I think a lot of healing happened this past so year. I think so, too. I hope so. Exactly. Just because when you don't have any other choice, you physically cannot, it's more dangerous to leave your home than it is to stay in it. (laughs) Then then you're forced to kind of sit in it. And it can be really uncomfortable and it can be really painful. But once you do that, you're allowed to feel it, release it, and then hopefully move on. That's the biggest thing too, because 2019, I landed in the ER. I, they told me I had to deal with my own anxiety and depression. I went to the doctors and I thought I'd gotten rid of it. And then it all kind of came back in 2020 in a different form. And then I was really, I, I had no excuse. I had no shows to cover up. I mean, I grew up on a my parents are boomers and it's very much like, oh, just bury it. And I'm not knocking my parents at all. My parents are absolutely incredible. We had a very tight family and it wasn't ever you couldn't share in the house, but it's just a different generation. And that's a big issue is mental health was just never talked about it. It's like, uh, you're fine. You know, get outside and do some work, get some physical activity and you'll be fine. You'll forget all about it. Well, there's truth in that. Physical activity really helps uh, release the good feeling natural drug that your brain has. And so they they were right about that. But, you know, you really do need to face. And then the biggest thing is release. I faced it in 2019, but I never released it. I just put it in the same old compartment, the same part of my brain again and said, oh, I feel much better. And then I didn't. And so 2020 happens and all of a sudden I can write music again after a year of dealing with self-healing. That's so incredible. I love that you were able to find that and able to release that so that you can now write even more songs. Well, same with you. After everything 
if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to Stella's podcast talking about things she's went through, go back and listen to him because you are an incredibly brave and strong person, even at, at times if you don't feel like it. The fact that you've gone through a tornado and two floods and moved what seems like a hundred times inside a few months, and now you have this podcast going and I get to chat with you about this, that's pretty dang amazing. So I'm proud of you for everything you've done. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that because you're right. A lot of times we're so close to it and we're feeling all the feels that we feel like, why isn't it happening fast enough? I think in normal life that happens to a certain degree, but I think when you're in a pandemic year where things are shut down still and things are still not safe, now we're getting to a place where things are starting to open up and hopefully, but when you're in that space, you really do feel like, why is, I mean, it really just feels like years and years. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like 2020 was like 10 years. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you so much because it was a very chaotic year and I came out of it reminded of my resilience again. You don't see it when you're going through it because you're just so focused on surviving and just getting to the next day. And I've got two littles I have to take care of. Right. They're depending on you. And then also because my dogs are therapy dogs, I share them with everybody all the time. So it was just so nice in a pandemic year to have them for myself. Mm, That must have been a great Yeah, that's been really valuable. I love that we are able to have this kind of discussion. This is the cornerstone of my podcast is talking about the things that people have in the past felt uncomfortable to talk about. Right. Because it's painful and it can trigger certain things. And But I feel like there's healing in talking about it. Just the mere fact that us having this conversation and people listening to it, they're going to listen to it and go, okay, we're not alone even though it feels like we're so isolated because we're physically isolating right now. Right, exactly. And so it's just nice to have that sense of community around you. It goes back to like being a kid and you get upset about something and you're all worked up crying or whatever. And then your mom or dad comes and talks to you and they're like, what's the matter? And you get it off your chest and then you instantly feel better. You're like, oh, okay. I was upset five minutes ago. I talked about it. I I literally just said the words. I put to words what I was feeling. And and now I feel better. I don't think that ever really goes away because there's been plenty of times that I've been upset about something. And my wife goes, what's the matter with you? And I'm like, I'm fine. She's like, no, tell me what's wrong. I tell her. And then I instantly just feel better. She didn't say anything. She didn't do anything other than get me to just put to words how I was internalizing and feeling. And so to have this conversation, I think just listening and and people realizing like, hey, he's saying things and she's saying things that are exactly how I'm feeling or what I've gone through. I'm hoping that helps people feel better in the sense that they're not alone and encourages others to just talk, literally just talk. Yeah, exactly. Just talk about it because at least when you're talking about it, you're processing it and able to let that go. Right. Does it feel the same when you write a song? Because I feel like a lot of songwriters have said it's healing to write songs and put feelings into lyrics and music. Uh, 1000%. Being able to write music. And a lot of times it's not even like your own actual story. Uh, Songwriters will put themselves into everything they do. We can't help it. But I'll write a story about a made up person and a made up situation they've gone through. And then I'll read it back five minutes later, an hour later, five years later and go, wow, that's some random story about some random fake person that I made up as if I was writing a book. But actually hidden inside of that is a lot of stuff that I was going through in that moment. And I didn't even realize. And some songwriters, mm-hmm. Taylor Swift's great about this, will literally put their completely raw, everything they're going through and sometimes even name names 
in situations mm-hmm. and that's completely theirs. It doesn't matter how you go about it, but when as a songwriter you write even just writing music I found you can put your emotions into the chords and notes you play and release it and feel better. To have that ability sometimes I don't want to say I feel guilty about being able to do it, but it's amazing to have the opportunity to create music from nothing because what is music? It's a structure set of vibrations, essentially, and it can create an emotional response to play a song you wrote. This is a great example. We've played songs on stage that we wrote that were very personal to us, and then somebody in the audience cried. And they come up to you afterwards and say, that song brought me to tears. I'm going through a hard time right now. And it just said everything that I've been feeling. That's a prime example of your situation, your instance. You're not alone because what you're feeling is completely yours. And nobody else is having that exact same experience except the emotional response they are. They know how you feel. They know what you're going through. They've gone through the same thing in their life, even though the situation might be different. The feelings that you feel are are the same. And so to circle back around to long-windedly answer your question, being able to write music, you do get to release what you're feeling through music. And then not to be able to write a song or complete a song in the middle of a pandemic when you're facing so many (laughs) mental challenges, I started stacking up the stress of, am I even a musician? Am I even a songwriter? Can I even write songs? What am I doing? I can't complete one song and I've had nine months to do this. Can I even put my emotions into a piece of music anymore? I felt completely broken through the whole thing. And I was. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is your career. This is your life, you know, and then you're not able to do this very thing, which is literally your livelihood. And I think a lot of us too, with our work and with other things, we attach that to our identity. So when that goes away, then who are we? Right. Because I remember in 2015, I had put a lot of my worth into my work and also being a good dog mom. Well, that year, my work situation changed. And then my first Pomeranian passed away very suddenly and very tragically. So I felt broken. I felt like you. I was like, who am I anymore? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't, I woke up one day and I was like, I don't even know who I am. Like, I just, where do I even start? Like, I, I just, <laughs> I'd gotten to a point where I just didn't recognize myself. Right. Once we're able to attend live concerts again, being a musician and songwriter, what are you most excited about? One of the biggest things I'm most excited about is the people that get to go back to work. Mm-hmm. Us musicians, we had it hard. I'm not taking that away from anybody. I mean, there are people who play on Broadway every night down here in Nashville, and that's their livelihood. That's how they make their money. They don't get paid from the venues. They get paid from tourist tipping, and that's how they pay their rent, put food on the table, gas in their car to get to the gig. And when everything got canceled and Nashville closed, they had no more income. A lot of musicians left. A lot of musicians had to try and find jobs. There were no jobs. More musicians, I think, they struggled to be able to get on even unemployment. The government couldn't even help them because they were self-employed as just musicians. And being a musician is such a weird self-employment category as far as government paperwork goes that they felt completely isolated and by themselves. And even the United States government couldn't help them or wouldn't help them is what it felt like. That being Mm -hmm. said... They could do live streams. They, thankfully for the ability to transfer money electronically, they could open up their phone and and we could do live streams, get tipped and maybe be able to buy some food and, and keep the lights on for another week. The people that are in the exact same game that we are, that stand in the shadows, that are never seen, are the stagehands, the sound people, the lighting directors, the crew members, the techs, the, the people that 
you don't ever know their names or see their faces, but they make our jobs easier. They make our jobs more fluid and they keep us running and they make us sound great. Those are the people who couldn't do live streams. I mean, what, what is a, a stagehand going to do on a live stream for tips, like oh, set up an amp and take it back down? <laughs> I mean, I wish that worked and maybe people did and it made them a little bit of money. But I was so sad and hurt for the, the folks that I know and interact with and rely on to help me do my job. They all of a sudden were completely out of a job and they're in the same situation as us. They're, they're in the live entertainment industry and they had no other source of income. So for shows to come back, for some semblance of normality to return, one of the biggest things I'm excited about is my friends and people I work with to be able to start getting back onto stages and behind mixing boards and make a living doing what they love. Because these people love music with their job just as much as I love playing guitar and singing. I'm also excited to work alongside them again and get back onto stage. Playing that show in Franklin, Tennessee was I was like on a rocket to the moon. I was so excited just to be on the stage. The audience was incredible. It was so energetic. It was so responsive. For me, selfishly, I'm excited to get back on stage. I'm excited for crews to get back to work. And I'm excited for people to be able to get out of the house and see live music. Live music is such an important part of... To me, it's not just entertainment. And I'm biased, but it's a chance for camaraderie. You get in a car with all your friends and you go and there's that energy before the show and you see your favorite band play live on stage and it does your health good. Or sit by yourself and watch a show. I've gone to concerts by myself before and had just as good of a time. And I think you said the keyword energy. There's a special kind of energy with live shows that you don't get with a lot of other things. Live streams included. That was the hardest. I've talked to a bunch of my musician friends that live streams just became so stagnant last year. So being able to get in a room full of people, musicians on stage, and you guys better be ready to have a good time. And that makes so much sense because when you're doing live streams, you're essentially playing music into a computer yeah. or a phone. And normally on a stage, you play off of the audience's energy yeah. and they're hyped up and then you get hyped up and vice versa. And so when you lose that, energy is such a big part of it. Yeah. It's not the same. I mean, as a fan listening to a lot of live streams when the pandemic first started. So as a fan of that, that was really nice, but it's just not the same. No, it's not. And just in this conversation alone, realizing again, the power of music and everything that it does for people. It's so healing. It really is. You hear it on the radio, you hear it on TV commercials, in your favorite show. Music is everywhere. You can't get away from it. And it's easy to take it for granted. Even as a musician, we, we take it for granted. We treat it as a job. We don't lose that passion. It's always inside of us. But you can lose the raw sense of it. Music is so healing. That's why it's everywhere. Because music, it creates something inside of everybody. Every culture on the planet has had some form of music for thousands of years. If you ever study the history of music at all, you'll find that these forms of music would pop up on opposite parts of the globe at the same time because the energy moves through the universe. And so this culture in Indonesia would be playing the exact same type of music as a culture on the other side of the globe, which is incredible. So music is very, very powerful, and it does a lot of good for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I know it's kind of cliche to say, but it really is the universal language of the world. True. It's a way we can all understand each other. Well, it's amazing to see. We watch our analytics and somebody in Estonia was listening to our last single. People in Russia, people in France. I don't speak any of those languages. I, if I was sit, just me and that person had to communicate in the room, it would probably come down to just music. 
Here's a great example. When we were in the Mediterranean, we were in Croatia. And this old man didn't speak a lick of English at all, but he had this little, he did wood carvings. And it was just me and him mm -hmm. in there. He had a radio going. I'm kind of like bopping to it. And we couldn't understand each other at all as far as spoken language. But he had a, an instrument on the wall that I was kind of plucking on. And we immediately connected through music. That's amazing. I told him in English I was a musician. He replied in Croatian. I had no clue what he was saying. He had no clue what I was saying, but I kind of gestured that I played music and we ended up laughing. We had a great time. I felt like I had created friendship with this guy and it was all based around music. He had the radio going and the instrument he had there. It was an amazing situation. Well, as we close out this episode, I always ask these two questions. What is your favorite compliment you've ever received? Wow. I've never been asked that before. <laughs> That's a really good question. It's got to be, like I said earlier, when you write a song, you play it on stage and it moves somebody to some emotional experience. For somebody to come up to you after you play or to send you a message on social media and say, your song helped me get through this time in my life. I never forget those moments. I remember everybody that tells me those because that to me is huge. I can't express how that makes me feel just the fact that I was able to create a piece of music that, and my sister, same thing, and things she's written that ended up being our songs, we create something that has an emotional reaction for us just to help us get through a certain situation in our life. We put it to music and then it continues to help other people. That's the biggest compliment I think I've ever received. I think that's almost the ultimate compliment for any musician and songwriter, just to have something that you created. And something that you said too was, it's so personal to you, and yet other people are able to relate to it. It resonates with them. Exactly. What is a compliment you can give yourself? <laughs> Another good one. <laughs> so I recently saw this TikTok and it said, is this crazy? Like, are you living in a, there's this whole thing where about living in a simulation or whatever you can go down a rabbit hole with all this conspiracy yeah. stuff. But this guy said, look back and tell your younger self, your past self, something good. And you'll be surprised down the road in the future, tomorrow in a month and a year, how your life has changed better. And I think that's incredible. And it goes back to the whole thing is if you could tell your younger self not to do something or you could tell your younger self to do something, I think that it has a big impact. And so a compliment to tell myself, I, I kind of like to look at it like if I could tell my younger self something, it would have to be you're doing a good job. Mm. That's it. Because sometimes in this business and in this life, you think no matter what you do, you're not getting anywhere and you're not working hard enough. You're not accomplishing what you wanted to accomplish fast enough. Like you said earlier, things aren't happening fast enough. Why is it taking so long? What am I doing wrong? A lot of times you're not doing anything wrong. You're doing everything right when you're supposed to, how you're supposed to be doing it. I love that because also sometimes certain things are expected. So you don't hear you're doing a good job. I'm proud of you. You don't hear right. that a lot. And so you, when you get older for me anyway, that's where the not enough, I'm not doing enough. Um, this isn't going fast enough. I'm, and it's always the I'm not doing enough. And it equates to I'm not being enough. Right. When it's not true. It's like we're doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing at the exact time we're supposed to be doing it. It just, obviously, we always want it to go faster. Yeah. And I think we're, <laughs> we're in a very solution, very results oriented society. And especially with healing and trauma, there's no destination. Because usually with other things, there's, you know, you finish a song, you finish a concert, there's a finite end point. 
And in this pandemic year, we don't know how long this pandemic is going to be here. We don't know what's going to happen. There's so much uncertainty. Like we were saying earlier, it was really important to sort of stop and just kind of address those issues of I'm not enough or what's wrong with me when there really isn't. We're in a freaking pandemic year and there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> right. You've never been through a pandemic before. I've never been through a pandemic before. <laughs> On top of all the other traumas that we've experienced, there's nothing wrong with us. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I love that so much that you said you're doing a good job because I think that's really important. That's something I'm trying to incorporate more in my life is to celebrate me more. I celebrate all the people all the time, but I don't take time to celebrate me and how far I've come in this past year. If there's anything I've learned is I am a lot stronger than I think I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the reason why I ask these last two questions to every guest, because for me, I feel like it's so nice to be kind, not only to other people, but to yourself. That's the key part to yourself. We're not taught to do that. No. It's always treat others how you want to be treated. Somebody recently told me, treat yourself how you want others to treat you. And I just thought that was so neat. I'm like, you don't think about being kind to yourself. Mm -mm. We're always hard on ourselves. We're our worst critics. We're super hard on ourselves. Yeah. Well, thank you again. This was so much fun. This was a blast. You're the best. Thanks for asking me to be a part of this. I'm, I'm excited to see your podcast grow and to be a guest on here. Thank you for tuning in. I would love to know what your favorite part of this episode was. Tag me at Finding Strength of Heart on Instagram or Facebook, or you can email me at FindingStrengthOfHeart at gmail.com. Until next time, take good care of you, and we'll chat soon. <laughs>